1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Ruth, Ruth follows Naomi's guidance and makes her intentions known to Boaz, and he, in turn, promises her, it will be well. We'll pick it up in Ruth chapter 3, verse 7. Once again, that's Ruth chapter 3, verse 7.
2: Ruth chapter 3. The whole theme of the book of Ruth is it's a, a true love story. A true love story. Not just a love story, but a real one. What it's really like, what it's really about, and Of course, we've talked about how, well, this is showing a love relationship between Naomi and Ruth, the loyalty that Ruth had toward her mother-in-law, and how she stuck with her even though it was at great risk to herself, the love that Boaz uh, shows towards Ruth, and then how she'll respond to him later on with the same type of loving commitment. But ultimately, God's love for us. But when we get to chapter 3, Naomi thought God had destroyed her future because she and her husband had decided to leave the promised land. Through Ruth, God has shown Naomi that he's always loved her, and he still wants to bless her. In the last two months, they have been wonderful for Ruth. Her and Naomi's needs are being met. Ruth has a group she gets to be a part of each day, and she has this budding friendship with Boaz that we discussed last week. But once the harvest is done, though, at the end of chapter 2, that mechanism for all of those things will go away. So Naomi decides it's time to give back to the daughter-in-law who's done so much for her. So chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens you were? Behold, he winnows barley tonight in the threshing floor. Therefore wash yourself and anoint you and put your raiment upon you and get you down to the floor. But do not make yourself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lies down that you shall mark the place where he shall lie and you shall go in and uncover his feet and lay you down. And he will tell you what you shall do. And she said unto her, All that you say unto me I will do. And she went down unto the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. Verse 7. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn. Well, here comes Ruth. It says, and she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. I love the phrase here for softly because literally it means she came in the secret arts. It means without making a sound. But the idea is she is on a mission where she is not going to be caught. He is trying to go to sleep. He has probably fallen asleep at this point in time. And she comes without making a peep. And she takes his robe, lifts it off his feet. And then she lays herself down at his feet. And it says that around midnight, the man, all of a sudden, he was afraid. The word it means to be startled. He, was, he woke up and he was startled. It says... And he turned himself. He noticed something's off. Probably noticed my feet are exposed. And he turned himself, which means he reached down to touch something. Now, I don't know about you, but if I went to bed alone, I'd be startled too if I woke up to find someone sleeping at my feet. So he twists around to find out what's going on. He turned himself means to reach out to feel around. And he touches on a person. And so it says, behold, when he knows it's a person, he looks over and he's like, it's a woman. A woman's laying at my feet. What in the world's going on? And so in verse 9, he says, who are you? What are you doing here? And she answered, I am Ruth, your handmaid. Now, there's a colon there, which means she paused. Because that's all she was supposed to do up to this point, right? Naomi said, when you do this, then he shall tell you what you shall do next. So she did her part, Right. But he doesn't answer. Naomi had said, Boaz will tell you what to do when you get this far. Boaz doesn't respond. He doesn't answer. Now we'll see why in a moment, but this does leave Ruth in a spot. What does she do now? There were no instructions for this point. You know, it may have been Naomi's responsibility to arrange things for Ruth, but marriage is always entered into by the free will choice of the participants. Always. God may bring someone into your life, but you still have to choose to commit your life to them. You have the right to say no. When God brought Eve to Adam, Eve could have said, as they were kind of walking to the distance, going, oh, oh, can, can we try another? And Adam could have gone, um, um, no, no, um, no, I don't think I'm ready for this yet. Either of them could have said no. But what, how does Adam respond when he sees her? He goes, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my No, I accept her. I'm good with this. So marriage is two people who are freely committing themselves to one another. Ruth could have walked away at this point. She could have thought, well, he isn't thinking about marriage. He's not interested in me. Did maybe Naomi assume too much? Maybe he's just a really nice guy. You ever had that happen to you? But Ruth doesn't do that, which means she wants this. She wants it to work. She wants it enough to take the risk of asking Boaz to be the one to fulfill the blessing he gave to her when they first met. And so she says, spread therefore your skirt over your handmaid, for you are a near kinsman. And that she risks everything. This is the beauty of marriage. Marriage is designed to both expose you in the greatest way, but at the same time provide the greatest security. That's what marriage is. It is designed to both expose you in the greatest way, but at the same time provide the greatest security. And that is why marriage is not cultural or societal. It's why it's different from living and making babies together. Well, we're already doing the whole thing. Why do we have to get a piece of paperwork? No, 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 you're misunderstanding. You don't even understand what marriage is about if you think it's just living in the same building and making babies together. It's why the nuclear family concept, the idea that a man and a woman in covenant relationship is essential for the family. It's why that is the only right way to do family. Now, let me qualify that with one other thought. I realize that there may be some of you here who find yourself in a situation where you say, I didn't want to be a single parent, but your spouse didn't honor their commitment. Listen, if you're in that situation, God can still guide you and he can still bless your family. God can take what the enemy meant for evil, what people mean for evil, and he can do great things still. But that does not make what happened to you right or good or what God desires ultimately. If you're here or you're listening and you're considering leaving your spouse for the greener grass of a single life or to find a better spouse, that's wicked. Repent and keep your vows. God could take even the most horrible situation and he can do a miracle with it. Now, I love the language here. She says, I am Ruth, your handmaid. When he doesn't say anything, she says, Spread therefore your skirt over your handmaid, for you are a near kinsman. That's the same exact phrase that Boaz used in Ruth chapter 2, verse 12. When he said, he pronounced this blessing upon her, the Lord recompense your work and a full reward be given you of the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you are come to trust. That phrase for under your wings you've come to trust, you can translate that exactly the same as this. Spread your skirt over your handmaid. It's the same exact phrase in the Hebrew. Same exact phrase. It speaks of marriage. God uses the same exact phrase to describe his commitment to Israel in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8. He talks about how he found her, how she was lost, and he married her, and he made her his own. In Ezekiel 16, verse 8, he says, Now when I passed by you and I looked upon you, behold, your time was a time of love. And so I spread my skirt over you and I covered your nakedness. Yea, I swear unto you and I entered into a covenant with you, says the Lord, and you became mine. It's talking about marriage. Ruth says, when she says this, she's saying, "I, I want you to marry me. I've been exposed since my husband died, and I just came and exposed your feet earlier this evening. I don't want you to just cover your feet back up and go your merry way. I want you to take me inside your robes so that we can find safety from our exposure together. I want to be exposed with you and with you alone. In other words, I want with you what God promised marriages to be way back in Genesis you said that you would take care of me until I found a husband. I don't want another husband. I want you. And since you're eligible to be my Goel, my kinsman redeemer, you have the right to do so if you want me. Well, that's about as vulnerable as you can get, don't you think? And after hearing that, Boaz finally snaps out of his silence. And he says to her, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter. For you have showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as you follow not young men, whether poor or rich. Boaz is happily surprised she wants to marry him. He calls her daughter here, but that was a term of respect for a young woman. We would probably say young lady today. Blessed be thou of the Lord, young lady. I want God to bless you for what you've just said and done. Why? Well, the same reason he didn't say anything when she identified herself. He never dreamed she'd want to marry him. He says, For you have showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning. What do you mean? You've shown more kindness at the latter end than at the beginning. The word there for kindness is the word chesed. It means loyal love or unfailing kindness. More than what beginning? Well, the last time he had said that about her, it had to do with her love for Naomi. He he had praised her for her commitment to Naomi, despite everything it cost her, leaving behind her homeland, leaving behind her gods, everything she knew to come to Israel. And he says, now you've proposed an even greater commitment to me than the one you've made to her. That's what Genesis chapter 2 says about marriage. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. Certainly that works for the woman too. My commitment to my spouse supersedes every other commitment I have save my relationship with Jesus. And if that is not the case in your marriage, you will have major problems because you're disobeying God and you're violating your vows. As so a part of the vows I do. They usually show up in some way, shape, or form in the way pastors do at weddings. But part of the vows I say, and forsaking all others, I give myself to you and you only till death do us part. Forsaking all others. That's what the whole wedding ceremony is about. The bride's walking past all her friends and family and saying, you're not number one anymore. You might have been my best friend, but you're not now. You may have been my first loyalty as a family. You're not now. The one I'm pledging my life to is. And that's how marriage is supposed to be. Till death do us part. Now, Boaz makes a comment here about the end. That this love that she had for him, this commitment she's offered to him, it's shocking to him because she didn't follow after the young men, whether they were poor or rich. See, Boaz figured Ruth would be like all the other young single women out there looking for a young guy to marry. That's why Boaz was still single. See, even though he thought she was something special, he confesses that he understated just how special she was. Now, you might be thinking, yeah, but that's not a yes, Boaz. (laughs) And you're right, it's not an answer. And I imagine he saw that on her face because his next words make his intentions clear. Verse 11. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do for you all that you require. For all the city of my people know that you are a virtuous woman. The phrase I require is probably a little bit too strong. Now, my lady, don't be afraid. I will do all that you ask. You've made a request of me, and I will do it. I will be your kinsman, Redeemer. And then he mentions, it's a good choice. For all the city of my people know that you are a virtuous woman. Now, the phrase virtuous woman is normally associated with lots of shortcomings and failures as you read Proverbs 31 and realize you're nothing like that, right? You know what's interesting about that word, virtuous? Same word that's used for Boaz in chapter 2, verse 1, when it says he was a mighty man of wealth. The word here for virtuous is the word that was used to describe a mighty man of valor, an elite warrior in Israeli society. It's the same thing when it's used of a woman. I mean, she's an elite woman in society, that there's not a whole lot of other people out there like her. And so that's what he says to her. The whole city knows that you're a winner, girl. Everybody knows you're an amazing woman. Of course I'd say yes. I'd be a fool. I'd be an idiot to say no. He praises her for being the best of the best. She's the best woman that he could ever marry. Now, you want a marriage tip, guys? Ladies, married women, married men? A lot of praise goes a long way. A lot of praise goes a long way. Boaz heaps praise upon Ruth in these two verses. Do you heap praise upon your spouse? You know, it's always easy to find things to criticize, especially when you're married. See, most people, we don't get this close to all their failures. They're not exposed like our spouses are exposed And they purposely cover up those flaws. They cover up those weaknesses. They don't let you see that side of them because they want you to see their best. But even if you're trying to be your best, those flaws will be exposed in marriage. It's the very nature of it. God designed two sinners to come together and to love each other in such a way that they help each other on their way to heaven. That's what 1 Peter chapter 3 says, that you are heirs together of the grace of life. You help each other on your way to heaven. The Lord brings you together because he says two are better than one. You're going to come alongside and you're going to partner with this guy. With all of his flaws in his sanctification. You're going to grab hold of his hand and you're going to help him on the way to heaven. Young man or old man, you're going to come along. This wonderful woman over here that has flaws though. She's a sinner. She falls short of the glory of God. And you're going to grab her hand and you're going to partner with her in her sanctification to become more like Jesus. And yet, when the sin builds up or the flaws build up, the failures build up, we can grow frustrated and we can just start to harp on those things and forget about the praise. The grass can look greener in lots of other places, not just the other side. The grass can look greener in ignoring them, the grass can look greener in withholding from them, the gra- grass can look greener in all sorts of responses to those flaws rather than partnering with them in their sanctification? Do you take the time to think of things to praise your spouse for? To tell them what you appreciate about them, to tell them the character traits you love about him, It goes a long way in helping with the areas that still need to be sanctified. Well, true intimacy is what's described in Genesis 2.25. Two exposed people with all their flaws out in the open, nothing hidden, and yet they fully accept one another and remain fully committed to one another. That's the beauty of marriage. That's the height that God wants to bring your marriage to. I tell people, I say, there's four principles. If you break the first two, you're going to have a hard time surviving marriage. If you won't leave father and mother, and then you won't cleave to your spouse. If you're not permanently committed to them, and you've got other ties that are more important to them, you're going to have a really hard time just having a marriage that lasts. But if you get those two principles right, you'll probably at least survive. Unity. The idea of two people moving in the same direction. Your marriage can be useful. You could raise a nice family. You could serve the Lord. You can have a productive life. But that doesn't mean you'll be happy. The fourth principle, intimacy, is required if you're going to have true Happiness. Because there's nothing like standing in front of somebody, completely exposed, and they smile at you, warts and all, and they go, I love you. I'm in this with you. I'm not going anywhere. It doesn't get much better than that. Then, I'll run through a wall for that person. Then, it gives you hope to keep going forward, even though you know you're not there yet. You're supposed to be your spouse's biggest cheerleader. Too often, it's easy—I know, at least for me—to become my spouse's biggest critique. You say, "But you know, I'm supposed to help them with their flaws." Yeah, you're right. Just read 1 Peter chapter three again, though, and make sure you're doing it the right way. Now, when we talk about Genesis chapter two twenty-five, Paul quotes it when he's referring to marriage. He says, Therefore shall man leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, two should be one flesh, two were naked and unashamed. He says, But I speak of Christ in the church. He drops that little thing there, that little blurb there. And the idea is that that's the kind of intimacy that God wants with us. 1 John 1.6, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ is continually cleansing us from all sin. It says cleanses us from all sin, but the word in the Greek is present. The idea is it's active. It's continually washing us. Now, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So to walk in the light as he is in the light means what? It means no tunic, no robe, nothing. No, there's no covered feet. Everything's exposed. And then it goes on to say in 1 John 1.9, in that exposure, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants that same intimacy with us. He's not holding back anything from you and me. He's not covering anything up. He is fully exposed. He says, here I am. This is how I feel about you. This is what I think. I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. I'm going to point out your flaws. I'm going to help you with your flaws. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I will love you to the end of time underneath of the everlasting arms. And He says, will you do the same with me? Will you open up yourself to me and walk in the light as I'm in the light? No darkness, nothing covered up, no hidden closets, no untouchable subjects. And if you do that, I don't care how many times you mess up. Because as you bring it to me, I will wash you, I will cleanse you, and I will walk with you through that whole process. That's the same kind of intimacy the Lord wants with us. No cover-ups, nothing hidden, full exposure, and full Acceptance. So is that your relationship with Christ? Or are there things that you say, Lord, I don't want to talk about that. Or no, Lord, I'm not talking about that. Or I'm not going to go talk to them about that, even though I know you want me to. The only person that I'm hurting when I do that, <laughs> you know, ultimately is me. I'm the one who misses out when I don't trust the Lord, that he loves me in all of my glory, which is not very glorious. I am my beloved's and he is mine. That phrase appears three times in the book of Song of Solomon and it describes that full disclosure that the Lord wants to have with us His bride. He says, I love you. I love you and I see you. There is no spot in you. You are all fair, my love. The Lord does see us that way. He doesn't see any spots. You know, you say, I'm a failure, Pastor Will. That's not what the Lord sees. He sees Christ, sees his righteousness. He sees you as having fulfilled all the law in Christ. That's what the Bible says. He who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be made what? The righteousness of God in him. So the scripture says, I'm not making that up. He took our sin, put it on him on the cross. And now he offers us his righteousness by faith. And if we repent of our sins, we put our trust in Christ, He gives us His righteousness. And now we stand as joint heirs with Christ, clean forever, to be presented faultless before His throne, not just because He asked you, but Jude says, with great joy. That's how He sees you. Why hide? Why cover up? Why pretend? Why run? It's the best place to be. So, Lord, we come. Lord, Naked and open before you, we say, here we are, warts and all. Have your way with any part of us, Lord. Anything you see that is not right, it's not good, I want to to sanctify this area of your life. We say, it's okay, Lord. And then we bring it to you now and we confess it. We say, Lord, I know it's wrong. And I don't want to be that way anymore. Will you cleanse me? Will you wash me? I want to stay here in your light. I want to stay close to you. I want intimacy with you. Nothing hidden, nothing between us, no walls. Full exposure and full security. We thank you that you promised that to us. We pray, Lord, also for those of us who are married that you'd help us to provide that same relationship to our spouse. Full exposure and full security like Ruth wanted with Boaz. Fill us with your spirit so we can live that out, we pray in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word